Hi and welcome to Mumble Mumble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Prashanthini and I am Aishwarya. This is season 3 episode 10 Hermione's secret. In today's episode we will be covering chapter 21 Hermione's secret and chapter 22 Owl Post again from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Before we get started let's hear the summary. Ding ding ding. Harry wakes up in the hospital ward to hear Snape's version of what happened earlier the evening. Ron is still unconscious but Hermione is awake and ready to help him tell Fudge the minister of magic what they saw and heard. But to their dismay Snape and Fudge wave them away believing that black confounded their minds. Luckily Dumbledore pops in then but he doesn't have a magical solution in his hat. He believes Sirius but admits that there's no evidence to back it up. The only thing he'll say is that they need more time. Hermione seems to understand this even if Harry doesn't and the minute Dumbledore leaves Hermione turns an hourglass on a chain backwards 3 times taking Harry and her back in time 3 hours earlier to be exact this gives them the advantage they need to save two lives Sirius and Buckbeak Harry and Hermione manage to make it back to the hospital ward in time undetected and let Dumbledore know of their success Snape however is furious that Sirius got away so much so that he rages into the hospital wing and yells at Harry in front of Dumbledore Madame Pomfrey and Fudge Fudge retracts the award that he promised to Snape and removes all the dementors from the school. The next day, Harry finds out that Lupin resigned from the school in disgrace. Snape let the cat out of the bag with respect to Lupin's transformation the previous night, and now everybody knows. Harry tries to convince Lupin to stay, but it is to no avail. Dumbledore and Harry have a heart-to-heart that makes Harry feel better, but only a little bit. He cheers up though when he receives a note from Sirius clarifying some events that happened earlier in the year and giving him official guardian permission. to go to Hogsmeade the next year. Ron is also happy because Sirius sends him an owl to make up for exposing his rat as, you know, a human being. Harry returns to the Dursleys anticipating a better summer than the previous ones. As you were telling me all these things, I was very surprised that so many things happened in these two chapters. But when I was reading it, it didn't feel like much. Hermione's secret obviously played out for a longer time than owl post the wrap ups at the end of the book happen in owl post but uh, i feel like they don't take a lot of time to do it so that made me feel like it was less exciting than the chapters we read for the previous episode even the whole revelation at the end of hermione's secret about why harry's dad was called prongs even with sirius escaping it just did not have the same amount of emotional things going on as much as the previous episode I know what you mean because I thought there was a lot more action in this episode but there was an awful lot of waiting around in Hermione's secret. Harry and Hermione just wait around at various places waiting for their previous selves to do things just so they can dash in and like correct situations. And a lot of the emotional moments of the previous chapters came from Sirius whether it was Sirius talking to Lupin or Sirius talking to Pettigrew. So I think the lack of Sirius did affect the plot a lot more. Yeah. So at the hospital wing I thought that Snape played it really smart. Whether he believes it or not, him telling the minister that Harry, Hermione and Ron were under the confounder's charm makes him seem much more mature than his usual self. And it's also really clever. Anything that they say, he could just be like he were confounded. Yeah. I'm 100% certain that he didn't believe that. I am certain too because there are some obvious plot holes here who's warned it serious use for the confounder's charm right if we used one of harry hermione or ron's wands it should be easy enough for us to figure out whether the wand actually cast the charm if you snape's wand it should be easy enough for us to figure out if snape's wand cast the charm 
I don't know if this is a question that was like asked by Fudge and somehow answered by Snape. But people just like easily like just smooth over those parts. We'd never find out if there is a way for you to figure out if someone is being magically manipulated into telling you their version of events. But I feel like they don't even attempt to do that in this chapter. They're just like, oh, I'm just going to believe everybody. Like you say, this is the thing. I'm going to believe you. I think this was a perfect opportunity for J.K. Rowling to introduce the imperious charm but she did not really use it here or veritaserum which we know she uses to great effect after this to be honest though i don't think uh, minister of magic would have needed anything more than sirius's account i don't think he would have really doubted it it's not like sirius's innocence was under question or guilt was under question rather just an account of what happened from an eyewitness would have been enough whether this universe at that point contained the whole priory incantatum charm or not we pretty much know that fudge at least is on brand he's he's not dumbledore he's not going to sit and think about some kind of revelation that harry and hermione are giving to him uh he's just going to go with whatever the adults say and whatever looks good for him i mean your last point especially i think what makes the ministry of magic look good that's what he's going to go with at the end of the day even if sirius's truth comes out i don't think he would accept it very easily because they are instrumental in holding an innocent man in prison for 13 years so i don't think that story would have flown well with him anyway i don't know if he was the minister of magic when sirius first went to jail but i agree with you it doesn't make the ministry look good i did think that nave working his issues about the freedom harry potter's being given slowly into the conversation makes it seem like he's concerned about harry we get a view of snape where we know that he's just obsessed with him harry reminds snape a lot of james so he seems like he's out there to get harry but i think when it came to talking to the minister he was able to mask those feelings unlike when he spoke to someone like say dumbledore i also think it helps that the minister doesn't have an insight into harry yeah or snape's relationship with james so he's able to buy the concerned adult yeah act that snape is putting on personally if i had been in that room when snape says personally i try and treat him like any other student i would have rolled my eyes <laughs> so hard they would have just been stuck <laughs> when dumbledore makes an appearance there snape simply cannot hold himself back he sheds all those layers he's put on for the minister of magic I think Snape simply doesn't want to see Sirius escape out of this whether he was guilty or not and he betrays his emotions in the end when he reminds Dumbledore that Sirius was capable of murder at the age of 16 with the minister of magic all he needed to get points was just talk about how he is concerned for Harry because Harry is a celebrity and wanting to keep him safe makes you a hero but with Dumbledore he clearly knows that it doesn't fly so he falls back on a truth that only snape and dumbledore know except his reading of the situation might have been a little exaggerated i don't think sirius meant to murder snape the intention and the danger was still very real and i like that he immediately switches gear when he knows that something he's been wanting for so long is about to slip out of his hands i think it's dumbledore who says that sirius's actions aren't like that of an innocent man But why would Sirius act like an innocent man? Nobody is treating Sirius like an innocent man. First off, he was sent to Azkaban without a trial. 
so obviously he is going to do whatever it is that he can to try to get away apparently in the visiting world you are guilty until proven innocent rather than the other way around he was caught in a very incriminating circumstance there was little left to imagination and i don't think he even wanted to defend himself when dumbledore says that sirius did not act like an innocent man i think what he means is he did not attempt to prove his innocence that was not why he escaped askaban at all he wanted to kill peter pettigrew so i think that's what he meant but i think dumbledore was convinced by the conversation with sirius even before he entered the hospital ward yeah yeah i think so too because it felt like after he spoke to sirius he realized there's only one way out of the situation he came there to convey the solution rather than listen to them it's more than just about dumbledore giving someone a second chance to me it feels like it speaks volumes about how much he knew sirius maybe on some level he always thought sirius could not have betrayed lily and james potter so he's convinced by the time he meets harry and hermione his brain must have been on on an overdrive <laughs> he knows that he does not have a lot of time the minister of magic is already out to get the dementors so he doesn't do a lot of convincing he just tells them do this i thought that dumbledore's dialogue in the movie and yes this is a shocker of a moment but i actually thought that dumbledore's dialogue in the movie is really nice he says a child's voice however honest and true is meaningless to those who've forgotten how to listen they attempt to make this moment a little comical though because he says this line and then he pats ron on the leg and it's on the broken leg also so ron like immediately like yelps a little and i actually like the way michael gambon plays the scene because after he says that he looks up at the clock and they attempt to make it tense and high paced like in the movie he look at the clock and be like ah time <laughs> as though the solution just came to him then whereas i agree with you that in the book it felt like dumbledore arrived with the solution like he thought about it this is the only way out so he came there prepared to like tell them that listen this is the only way out but i also want to talk about how when harry is talking to dumbledore it's a pivotal moment for harry the realization that dumbledore cannot solve his problems even though there is an innocent man at stake and even though they know the truth and it is so unfair dumbledore actually can't do anything and everybody comes to this realization sooner rather than later that adults can't solve problems and i feel like this is the moment that prisoner of azkaban stops being a children's book and becomes an adult book that's exactly what i had written down to <laughs> for us as readers we are also shocked to know that dumbledore cannot get serious out of it this in any way yeah oh i was wondering uh, how does one communicate with dementors this is something that i think we've discussed in our other episodes we landed at dementors must be able to talk because sometimes people come and say stuff like the dementors are getting antsy and all and, and if you're able to understand the emotion that must mean that they were able to tell you but personally i'm fond of sign language i'm imagining wizards like <laughs> signing stuff to dementors and them being like okay maybe they write notes to each other <laughs> i feel like maybe dementors can understand human language but they don't really have much to say themselves but they must surely be able to like communicate something like prisoner has escaped true they must be at least able to say that yeah yeah i don't know still a mystery i am glad it's a mystery i don't want to know everything about dementors i feel like if we get to know that we might stop thinking of them as something scary <laughs> so after dumbledore tells them that a little bit of time will do the trick that's when we all learn a solution to a minor mystery that's been running throughout this the answer to ron's numerous questions about how hermione pops out of nowhere to the classes but it's quite a pity that it is harry who gets to learn this first and not ron yeah 
and also don't say minor mystery come on i don't think you could have been any more on the nose with ron occasionally being like how is she doing it where did she come from i am saying minor mystery because there are other mysteries bigger mm. than that in the book like how is serious black getting into the castle who sent the firebolt <laughs> why is harry seeing the dog yeah <laughs> it is sad though that harry is the one that gets to find out first even though ron is the one who put so much effort into noticing yeah. and the fact that Harry embraced the idea of a time turner without too many questions just shows how much he's learned to expect the bizarre in the magical world. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and it looks like this particular time turner actually takes them across space and time. In the book, J.K. Rowling's time travel involves location and time displacement and seems to be tied to the people doing the traveling which immediately makes this tech like unusable beyond a certain point of yeah. time like she's clarified to us that you can only go back 5 turns which means that harry can't use this time turner to travel back 13 years and save his parents yeah. from voldemort by also tying it to like the people who are using it she's made sure they can only personally influence their own timelines harry can't use the time turner to go and kill hitler as most people tend to do when time travel is involved but you know what the movie actually corrects the location displacement by having them appear in the hospital wing they use ron as, as a reference like he's there when they start rotating the hourglass and when the hourglass stops they are in the hospital wing but ron is no longer there because they travel 3 hours back in time i wonder why the movie corrected this displacement i don't know if i would say corrected as much as changed there is quite a few differences between the book and the movie especially especially the part where they throw like a little rock at the heads of their old their past self to get them moving from Hagrid's hut it's like an example of what's going to happen with Harry at the lake with the dementors that still didn't feel like something that should have happened there i'm slightly disappointed about the comedic treatment of time travel I think when hermione says something like is that what my hair looks like from the back i was like this is not my hermione this is not my movie <laughs> that is the moment that broke me <laughs> i understand why they did it it just felt like they were trying to clarify something that did not really need clarification so jk rowling says that she thinks about time travel in prisoner of azkaban let's not even talk about cursed child i don't understand the time travel in cursed child i don't want to particularly think about it also mm-hmm. considering i only read it once mm-hmm. but when she was writing prisoner of azkaban she thought of time travel like in the terminator movies i haven't seen it when you go back in the past it's like a causal loop in the sense that you can only do the things that you already know happen she talks a lot about how like you shouldn't be seen and how that can affect things that happen but the thing is the only thing it can affect is the future everything that has happened in the past because you didn't actually see any difference in the past it means that your future self time traveling back was successful in doing the events of the past so when jk rowling says that you should not let yourself be seen that's an unnecessary precaution because the past self will never meet the future self i mean she says that and it's necessary it's just that you know you've been successful because your past self never saw your future self okay got it it's a perfect loop in a lot of time travel movies a second timeline happens only because the future self does something and in an alternate timeline like forms or something like that in essence if your future self did something when time traveling to your past that would be something that you already know as having happened which means that it will always be a loop so essentially her time travel concepts work 
with something called a self consistency principle that suggests there's only one timeline that exists and that a time traveler cannot change the past but just affects events in a way that creates no inconsistency the perfect example for this is buckbeak the first time around when we're reading the events we interpret the events to mean that buckbeak died buckbeak actually made it away and the only person who could have possibly known this is dumbledore yeah because he was at hagrid's hut and he knew so dumbledore gives several clues during this time travel adventure that he knows that something is going on but he's not exactly sure i think what's going on he's just playing along with whatever is happening and i think there arrives an event where dumbledore realizes that time travel is the solution and he realizes everything in the past makes sense now that was one of my questions did dumbledore know when he was in hagrid's hut did he know that a rescue attempt was happening outside so there are three possibilities much before sirius came into the picture Dumbledore intended for Hermione to use a time turner and save Buckbeak. But if he had really seen Buckbeak escape, do you think he would have ever gone to Hermione after that and asked her to use the time turner without the motivation of Sirius being there? I think he wouldn't have asked Hermione because he needn't have asked Hermione. The first time around, there is Dumbledore living through the evening, right? he goes to hagrid's hut to be a part of the execution and be there for hagrid he finds out that there is no animal to be executed he's not really certain what happened but he knows that someone has freed buckbeak which is why he even says why check the grounds check the air they could have flown away and then he like casually lures everybody else away he knows that buckbeak has gotten away somehow he just doesn't know how maybe these are events that he thinks he'll figure out later but then he gets to a point in the evening where he comes to the hospital wing and he realizes that Buckbeak has gotten away and for all we know at that point uh, he might have even found out just before he came to the hospital wing that Sirius has also left he might have even been around to know that Sirius had left for instance we don't know how accurate Dumbledore's perception of the wards of Hogwarts are we don't know if he knows when someone leaves and enters or something like that so he might have been able to figure out that he knows that someone freed Buckbeak he knows that Sirius is also uh leaving so he might have figured out like maybe time travel is the solution but if sirius weren't there i don't think he would have had to suggest time travel as a solution at all because he knows that someone's already done it oh i actually find this really hard to accept because mm-hmm. i feel like the whole thing with buckbeak was not a wrong interpretation but in the past mm-hmm. buckbeak was executed why do you think that yeah they don't see it which mm-hmm. acts like a really big clue but i think a more plausible explanation would be dumbledore expected harry ron and hermione to attempt to rescue buckbeak even before all this went down the first time around when they knew that buckbeak was about to be executed he probably would have thought harry would come and try to rescue the bird because that's who harry is just like harry thinks there's not a single problem that dumbledore can't solve maybe dumbledore thinks harry and gang will go to any extent to help their friend and when that doesn't happen and buckbeak is executed then the events with respect to sirius also happen he realizes that there's a chance to save buckbeak also so i first thought the same way that you did for a very very long time like several years actually but the reason that i'm more convinced towards this whole self consistency principle is the petronas on the lake if the events of the past did happen at one point which is that there was no time travel at all which means that buckbeak died and there is a version of the events where harry died on that lake no one came to the rescue there but we know that didn't happen we know that that there is 
future Harry who saves past Harry, which is what leads me to believe that that is the only version of events that exists. That it is a loop simply because it's what happened. That's what leads me to be convinced that Buckbeak also didn't die. That's what we are led to believe. Like you said, the biggest clue is that we don't see Buckbeak's death. Yeah, I think that's the intention. In the movie, they have fixed it, made the thing more consistent by having mm-hmm. Dumbledore be very distracting and draw the executioner's eyes to somewhere random away from Buckbeak as if giving them more time to attempt the rescue. I think in the movie maybe Dumbledore just expected a rescue attempt uh, to happen which is why he's just naturally like trying to draw attention away. So that's what I thought happened in the book. He was probably surprised that Buckbeak was still around when he came there. He he mm. was probably thinking that Harry, Ron and Hermione would have already tried it but because they didn't want to get Hagrid into trouble he might have been expecting them to be in wait to do this. Maybe he wanted to do it himself. Like you said that was my understanding but now that you're talking about the loop and whole petronas across the lake thing i think that the other possibility is the only way only thing that can be true i don't know if she intended at that particular moment when she wrote about time travel and prisoner of azkaban to ever reuse time travel because she made it very straightforward and easy so that she could personally avoid having to overthink this yeah i get that let's apply the same principle to hermione using the time turner throughout the year no mm mm-hmm. Hermione would never be seen because she was never seen. <laughs> Simply. Yeah. Just like that. So Hermione keeps saying that there are loads of witches and wizards who meddled with time who ended up killing their past or future selves. That will never be true, no? Then because if you end up killing your past self, you will never there won't be a future self. Yeah. It's just inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. That's a confusion. No it's a bizarre simply because if your future self travels to kill your past self then who is going to travel in the future if your past self is dead to kill your past self yeah it's a paradox yeah. exactly it's just not possible i also like wondered why is hamini saying that because it should not be possible it's it's something called the grandfather paradox where there's a suppository that you could travel back in time to kill your grandfather so he wouldn't have your father so you wouldn't exist but if you did that who's going to travel back in time to kill your yeah. grandfather <laughs> yeah exactly and if your past self never met your future self and then got to time travel then mm. according to this loop theory they will never meet the past self yeah because the past self has no memory of meeting the future self yeah i also wondered why hermione kept being like you mustn't be seen actually one important thing that i know is super nitpicky is that they are wizards who can disguise themselves why couldn't they disguise themselves and still be seen by their past selves yeah yeah so this will all be possible if you already know the rules of time travel and you mm. know what this device is doing but say you come across it and you start mm. using it these warnings are there to prevent those mistakes happening you can take any measures uh, not meet your past self which makes me think that maybe is there a possibility that hermione herself ever ran into her past or future self knowing that the time turner exists and how did she feel about <laughs> meeting this other self because knowing that the time turner exists if she does run into someone who looks exactly like her she knows that it's her past or future self and that means that she wouldn't be freaked out she wouldn't attack that self so yes 
I am entertaining the possibility that during the course of the year she met her other self many times. <laughs> and then, you know, they they went their own ways. <laughs> also cheating is totally easy, right? Like the future self who takes the exam can tell the past self these were the questions in the exam because of which the past self would do well. I don't think Hermione would have done this, but it would have been very easy to cheat on exams. That's why not every student gets the time turner. <laughs> Hermione being chosen as the only person who has this ability completely makes sense from a school's point of view. You can only go back for an hour or two and you're only doing it because someone's really interested in learning and you know that they have a lot of integrity. The possibility of using it to do something else is probably not something anybody really thought of. Maybe this kind of time turner was made for students like Hermione. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, J.K. Rowling totally fixed the time-turner problem by having them all be smashed in book 5. Yeah, I think time-turner, it's a very interesting and uh, alluring thing to include in any fantasy. But the only problem only problem is if you're introducing it in some part of the series, it can turn it into a really complex thing for your rest of the story. Every time someone dies, every time something remotely unpleasant happens... The possibility of using a time turner is going to be like thrown at your face as an author, I mean. So, yeah, yeah. That's probably the reason that a lot of fantasy authors don't go near it or have like a heavily restricted version of it. Even a heavily restricted version like this particular time turner has a lot of criticism. So, as a fantasy writer, it's kind of sad that they have this really meaty, exciting concept that they can never because then your whole book becomes a time travel related book if you write only one book and that book is about time travel i think you're still okay you make just one movie and that one movie is about time travel and you don't plan on making anything else after that time travel is still okay it's just the problem comes up in a series i mean the minute time travel appears i feel like you've jumped the shark a little bit Simply because you can never go back. But the minute you introduce time travel, everybody will be like, but why isn't time travel always the solution for everything? And I feel like time travel also sort of cheapens character development a lot, the way that it's used. People use it as a quick fix for character deaths, for emotional situations being undone. And uh, it just sort of does away with the hard parts of life. I'm pretty much talking about Doctor Who here, <laughs> which uses time travel left, right and center to bring back dead characters. <laughs> that can be annoying. For me, the thing that I thought was really well executed was not, it was not time travel at all, but you know, the Groundhog Day sort of a loop uh, in Edge of Tomorrow. I thought that yes. was really cool because there are so many limitations. And of course, it becomes the whole story of the movie. Uh, but there are so many limitations that you can never imagine a possibility outside of those two people who have that power. So if you're executing time travel, it should be tied to a phenomenon that is so rare that it can never happen again very easily. It should not be with a time traveling device. No time machines. Yeah. <laughs> or spaceships. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're writing something that's specifically about time travel, then everything's fine. <laughs> but this was actually my first... Um, introduction to time travel itself and i'm sure that's true for most people because science fiction was not a part of my reading at all when i was younger and time travel mostly occurred in science fiction back then this was the first fantasy series with time travel that i'd ever read so 
it was very enthralling and i know that there are a lot of problems with it i know there are still things that are not really laid out properly you can poke as many holes as you want but the first experience of me reading this can never be taken away even if i analyze it to death i agree with you i think this was my first encounter with time travel as well i'm still not unhappy with the way that she's written time travel i think she's made as good at an attempt as most people can i know that it has its inconsistencies but i'm actually okay with it yeah me too it still continues to be my favorite book despite any inconsistencies it brings to the table this part uh, hermione's secret uh, is definitely something that the movie has done better in many other ways it doesn't feel as leisurely in the movie i think the constant ticking of the clock in the background and them constantly having to run around without too much waiting they do wait but not too much and then there's this encounter with the hippogriff and the werewolf there's just a lot going on than just waiting so i think movie wise i feel like the ending was a lot more action packed i actually like in the book that the waiting around is when harry processes his emotions about what happened earlier in the evening like he thinks he saw his dad at the lake and he thinks about how so many people pettigrew is assumed to be dead what if his dad was also assumed to be dead but was not actually dead yeah and his friends getting together might have actually brought his dad back it's such a weighty emotional moment and i was actually a little bit sad that the person who was with him is hermione whose only response to this is but he's dead <laughs> have a heart hermione <laughs> come on Yeah. <laughs> I think a person like Luna would have been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really hard moment for Harry to uh process. I'm actually glad that that's all Hermione said because anything other than that and she wouldn't be Hermione. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But you're right not much happens in the book after they rescue Buckbeak they wait around in the forest they have a conversation they move when they realize that Lupin is going to transform and i feel like things happen really quickly the second time around because they watch themselves go into the tree the snape comes along almost immediately and and then they are out in like a matter of minutes they are out of the tree as well and next thing you know pettigrew has escaped then sirius follows him and then they are at the lake yeah. and the lake must be really really big for harry to not be able to feel the influence of the dementors from the other side of the lake and he goes there because he wants to see who's going to come he wants to meet his dad who's going to come to the rescue over there and this is the part where usually i get like a little bit teary yeah because harry's just so excited about this moment i i actually like how the movie does this moment but i still feel like the book really wins at this point because the moment that it hits him that he is the one who cast the patronus and he has no doubts about casting the patronus simply because he's already seen himself cast yeah. the patronus which gives us like further proof that this is a loop right he can do it because he's already done yeah. it in the past it feels like a bow like everything so neatly tied yeah. back at that moment and in a way harry was right the four friends were really out on the grounds that night if you consider yeah Harry's Patronus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As Dumbledore says, Prongs did ride that night. But yeah, things happen really quickly after Harry casts that Patronus. Like, they, they get on Buck Peak, they fly to the tower. Sirius is really surprised <laughs> to see them at the window. And he actually says you're very much like your father. I think at this point, Sirius might not have expected a rescue attempt at all. 
but i'm sure that every point after this he would have expected harry to turn up whenever things got really tough i think cuz he didn't expect the kind of loyalty that a rescue attempt shows he didn't expect that harry would feel attached or loyal enough to actually attempt to rescue him and then that's what he means right when he says you are your father's son and it also shows us that what serious will always be someone with one foot in the past true like he'll always look at harry with that perspective if serious really thought of this the way you just said then that's where he really doesn't understand harry because mm-hmm. even if it had been someone like wormtail or someone completely unrelated who's gone through this harry would have still done it or someone despicable like snape yeah harry does not need loyalty to do the right thing yeah actually that brings us to the end of chapter 21 he must have disappeared severus we should have left somebody in the room with him when this gets out he didn't disappeared snape roared now very close at hand you can't apparate or disappeared inside this castle this has something to do with potter snape is so close to getting his heart's desire and it must really hurt to have it just get ripped out of his hands he sounds like a madman but his guess is so spot on i don't know how but this has something to do with potter <laughs> i actually <laughs> wonder why he doesn't doubt dumbledore because dumbledore has the same tendencies in fact this whole thing was orchestrated or at least like started by dumbledore i know and i guess the time turnout was on a need to know basis because snape doesn't know about it at all and dumbledore is so evil like he knows what happened but he's still like standing there enjoying the spectacle he knows snape has a right to be angry no snape has no right to be angry honestly he is convinced that he is right which means that he thinks that sirius did kill pettigrew he is convinced that sirius by extension killed lily sirius was so close to his death snape thought that maybe after all these years the person that got lily killed is going to like meet their end and then it was taken away from him also the other thing is that he lost the order of merlin i don't think he would have cared that much yeah harry thwarted him all of those things i enjoy snape's meltdown as much as the next person but i can also see why he was so upset no but you remember what we spoke about in the last episode i don't think even sirius's proof of innocence would have changed snape's mind no on some level he probably knew that sirius was not guilty that sirius would never betray mm-hmm. james i think he just wanted them to pay for lily's death yeah shift the blame away from himself a little bit yeah i guess fudge didn't know how right he was when he called snape unbalanced <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> After this I only like written down some quotes because as usual the last chapters are filled with quotable quotes from Dumbledore but I think this this book is the last time that happens maybe I'm not so sure I think book 5 has quotable quotes in the last chapter Book 5 has a lot going on there is a lot yeah. of plot happening with Dumbledore he's not here to you know tie the loose ends whereas in the first three books he's doing just that Harry is obviously understandably still frustrated and sad because even as readers we feel the same thing we are not feeling the joy we usually feel at the end of the book yes Sirius is innocent and he is not in the prison but no one knows that he's innocent and also Harry doesn't get to go stay with him yeah. so things feel like they are exactly where they used to be obviously that will that will weigh on him a lot and he's also losing the teacher that he loves 
Dumbledore's motivational speech here really helps. But to be fair, I am totally not on Harry's side with respect to Lupin. Simply because, hmm. despite how much I like Lupin, a werewolf on the loose in the grounds of a school with children is a cause for concern. And the fact that Lupin wasn't careful enough to take his potion is a problem. Extraordinary circumstances, no? Lupin would have never done it had he not seen Sirius in the map with Harry and Ron and Hermione. He went there to save them. Imagine being a student at the school knowing that a werewolf was on the loose. If you notice, Harry actually does not defend Lupin really. He does not really say, hey, but you can be careful going forward. He just says, I'll miss you. I think to some extent, Harry does understand why Lupin has to leave. One of the things that Dumbledore calls out with a lot of insight is that Pettigrew owes his life to you. You have sent Voldemort a deputy who is in your debt. When one wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them, and I'm much mistaken if Voldemort wants his servant in the debt of Harry Potter. Obviously, we know the implications of it. We know what happens in Book 7, but he's actually talking about a silver lining here in everything that happened in the past few hours for Harry that he's just not going to get for four or five years. <laughs> yeah, this gun has fired several books <laughs> from now. Yeah. At this point, he's too immature to even understand what that can really mean. Like what saving a person's life can really mean. I think this is the part where J.K. Rowling introduces what some people call real magic as opposed to waving your wand around and saying some words. Harry and Peter's bond is something that isn't governed by the laws that these guys study in school. And this is the same magic that Dumbledore talks about when he talks about how prongs rode again the previous night it's a lovely sentiment and uh, it shows us that despite your belief in nature versus nurture theory that real magic is strange and unexplained and there's going to be a lot of this in the series itself so magic is not science i think that is reinforced again and again throughout the series it's not something like just you know chemistry if you mix this plus that it happens no, it's not just that. I agree with you. We discussed this, I think, with respect to potions. Like, if you were able to put the ingredients together and you were a non-magical person, would it still be a potion? But that there is magic in the Harry Potter world. And I like that she uses this magic, like, sparingly. Some of the examples I can think of when she uses this real magic concept is the wand choosing the wizard. Harry's wand sometimes acting in unexpected ways. It doesn't feel hokey to me when I read the books. She uses it emotionally a lot at moments where it makes a lot of sense and gives it a real heft to the situation. Just like here, like, I mean, logically, we all know that James is not inside Harry <laughs> in any manner or a part of his personality. James died when Harry was a baby. He was one year old. There cannot be a part of James in Harry. But emotionally, that is something that makes sense to us. Yeah. So like you said, it's not a science, but it still makes sense. We were talking a lot about time travel and loop and it's true because it happened so it'll happen again. I just thought of how interesting it is that Professor Trelawney is introduced in the same book as this concept of a time turner because a lot of the predictions she make is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's happening because you believe in it and the prophecy will be fulfilled because the wheels were already set in motion by someone. I think... That 
in this particular book it doesn't really feel like a self fulfilling prophecy whereas the prophecy in book 5 is a literal example of self fulfilling prophecy in this particular book it still feels something closer to real magic it's as though trelawney was able to actually predict what was happening simply because the actors involved in the prophecy that she predicts weren't around to enact those events harry doesn't even really understand what she meant then till later but the prophecy in book 5 is something that the actors involved got to influence or at least one main actor involved in it got to influence and thus make it become true and what i'm trying to say is it's going to happen whether you try to change it or not so mm. your action has absolutely no influence because even if it's a prophecy about the future no i also wonder if we should save this for book 5 simply because i think dumbledore actually says there are a lot of prophecies in the hall many of which don't come true but this particular prophecy came true only because voldemort believed it believed it would come true my question here is could harry really have prevented peter pettigrew from joining the ranks of voldemort if he knew that that's what the prophecy was talking about i think that he could have prevented peter pettigrew but could he have stopped voldemort from coming back no No, but the prophecy was specifically about a servant rejoining his I master. I think he could have. I mean, if he understood the prophecy well enough, don't you think he could have told Dumbledore about it and Dumbledore would have known enough magic to be able to stop Pettigrew in any circumstance? They could have tried, but I feel like it wouldn't have really worked out. Purely theoretical, but in my head, the way that I understood prophecies in Harry Potter is, if you are able to figure it out, you can stop it or go with it. I mean you work at your advantage. My reading of what Dumbledore said in the 5th book was a lot of prophecies made are not true while Professor Trelawney has made some true prophecies. There are great examples in this book itself all the things she tells the class yeah. one of our number will leave forever yeah, yeah. Uh, something bad will happen to you on the 16th type of thing. Maybe he's talking about the prophecies in the hall that are not true but if it's true it's going to happen no matter what you do. But you won't know if it's true until it happens. Yeah. I agree. At which point you would be like it's true because it happened but it could have happened only because you believed it was true. My head hurts a little bit. <laughs> This is the place where we can clearly see that it's not true just because you believed in it. Harry had no clue but it still happened. Mm. I am saying even if Harry had had some clue he would not have been able to stop it because the wheels are already in motion. And like you said it's mm. inevitable. I don't remember very clearly what Dumbledore says in book 5. So we can talk about this in the next episode also. We can talk about it in book 5 also. <laughs> no, we can go back and read that part because I haven't read uh, Order of the Phoenix recently. I'm in the lockdown. I have read Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> I have read <laughs> Deathly Hallows again, but I haven't reread Order of the Phoenix. So I don't remember that part very clearly. But my understanding of the way prophecies work in Harry Potter world itself is that it's not inevitable it's your belief that it's inevitable that makes it inevitable and that's voldemort's downfall with respect to his prophecy that might be true but i honestly don't think that i wonder if this first prophecy is meant to be a confirmation of confirmation only in the sense that it's a minor example of the big prophecy of the series or if it's just meant to be like a throwaway prophecy like so she only makes two prophecies actually if you remember in book 6 Before Harry and Dumbledore leave the school for the very last time, he runs into Professor Trelawney, and she mentions the lightning struck tower, which is not really a prophecy, but it is an accurate prediction. Obviously, there are no no clear cut answers, but given that 
we only watch two of professor trelawney's prophecies at happening in action and one of them happens even without anybody believing or even knowing about it i feel like prophecies have a way of happening in the end no matter what you try that's just the way i interpret it no matter maybe dumbledore believes that that's not the case but i feel like that's how it works in this world it's actually possible cuz we only have two examples and one has already been cast in doubt and the other like you said no one had to do anything for it to become true so so things are winding down in hogwarts and ron is okay now his broken leg has been patched up we don't really get a lot of reaction but he hears about the time turner and their adventure i'm actually glad that this is harry and hermione's book simply because chamber of secrets was harry and ron's book and philosopher's stone was harry ron and hermione's book so it's nice hermione should get a turn in a spotlight yeah i agree with that and as usual we have percy turning up at the end of the book and you know percy is right i think more proposals should be made for magical law enforcement because how the hell is an escaped convict allowed to access his gold in gringotts i know the goblins just took the gold and <laughs> gave it <laughs> yeah i think percy needs to really make a change in all these things let's see if he does it in the future <laughs> and i've always wondered how mcconagall will really consider a permission slip signed by black to be valid even though harry says it will work for dumbledore won't mcconagall also see it Yeah and one thing i also wondered is how much does mcgonagall know about the events that happened uh, at the end of book 3 because she knows about the time turner and she knows that something if he happened and i wonder if she was able to put the pieces together and figure out what happened and i don't really remember have you read goblet of fire recently at the end of goblet of fire uh, sirius is in the school and everybody else is like oh sirius black is mcgonagall surprised i remember that mcgonagall was surprised yeah I don't think Dumbledore really confides a lot in her. I guess she didn't put together the events then, which means you're right. How is McGonagall being like, oh, this slip is signed by an escaped convict. And he says, okay, for Harry Potter, the person that we thought he was trying to kill. Totally legit. Harry can go to Hogsmeade now. <laughs> I don't get it either. Yeah, I think at this point, it was just something to make us feel that this is a children's book again and also for the plot to extend beyond hogwarts when harry is in hogwarts during the school year he cannot possibly use the cloak all the time he wants to get out of hogwarts even though i think in the next book hogsmeade is not used to great effect one thing i want to talk about is how do you pass an exam with 320% how how do you do it man this is just showing off yeah you just give a lot of answers for questions that were never asked this reminds me of how like uncles talk about how they passed exams with 110% and all what uncle says that i have an uncle who says that and it turns out that he did that by simply just you know you have or questions you have to answer one or the other you would have answered both and some idiot teacher gave marks for both instead of striking one out <laughs> but 320% come on the ending has started to become gloomier now And the fourth book is just going to get so much worse. <laughs> But you're right. I like that even though the ending is super gloomy, we don't actually get everything that we want as readers. It's like Harry doesn't get to go live with Sirius. Sirius is innocent and we know that and Dumbledore knows that. But nobody else actually knows that. And Lupin is no longer the defense against the dark arts teacher, which means they have to get a new teacher again. Dean hopes that it's a vampire. I hope so too, Dean. But... 
J.K. Rowling still gives us something good at the end. Harry gets his permission slip. Ron gets a new owl. And Hermione gets to be right. Yes, Hermione gets to be right. Sirius closes a lot of loops in his letter. He's the one who sent the firebolt. Crookshanks mails the order for him. The grim sightings. They are all serious, as we find out. Although, I don't think it was really necessary to mention that because we know that the dog is serious. I know, but it's just nice. Just in case you didn't get it. Yeah. She closes out the loop completely. Yeah. Which gives us a slightly hopeful end, at least, to the end of the book. Because Harry now gets to taunt the Dursleys with Sirius. And he actually now gets to have someone to talk to. A parental figure. Which is a big This deal. This is what makes the beginning of Goblet of Fire very hopeful. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I think even he would not have expected Sirius to write to him at that point. So, yeah. it's a very pleasant surprise. That brings us to the end of this particular book and chapter. But it gives us a lot of exciting hints as to the events of book 4. We have the Quidditch World Cup, which sounds exciting. Ron says he's going to try to learn how to use a felitone. <laughs> also exciting. I guess that also brings us to the end of today's episode. We are going to have a wrap-up episode for this season. where we discuss the different themes in the book and we are also going to discuss the movie in detail. Yeah, I have to go and re-watch the movie. This should be fun. If you like this episode, let us know in the comment section on our website. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at MimbleMimblePod. Until next time. Wonder what they'll give us next year. Wonder what they'll give us next year.